You've heard the phrase, when the going gets tough, finish it. That's one way to say it. Actually, have you ever thought about where that originated? Some of you may know. Anybody know? What's that? <laughs> no, it does look like that, though. Uh, and that does speak to it. So, But actually, Joseph P. Kennedy, John F. Kennedy's dad, some attribute it to him. Others attribute it to Newt Rockney. So I guess both of them said it. I don't know where it originated, which one it originated with. Billy Ocean, a song in the 80s, popularized the phrase. You've probably heard that song. If you ever hear it, you can't get it out of your head. But it's a popular proverb saying whatever. But there are some variations on that phrase. Some, one variation is when the going gets tough, the tough eat cake. (laughs) Or when, my favorite, when the going gets tough, the tough drink coffee. (laughs) When the going, here's, some of you may identify with this, when the going gets tough, the tough take a nap. (laughs) Just need to unplug, right, sometimes. When the going gets tough, the tough go shopping. I heard some amens there. That may be the most, most amens I've heard in a while. I don't know. Um, when the going gets tough, here you go, teachers. This one's a new one during COVID. When the going gets tough, teachers, keep teaching online. All right. John Madden has recently passed away, but John Madden was known for, uh, you know, as a, as a coach, a broadcaster, and also using 10 words when he could just use two. Right? Here's how, he, here's how he says it. When the going gets tough, I'm not always sure what to do. I'm not saying that I know how to fix everything when the going gets tough, but I do know this. When the going gets tough, you don't quit, and you don't fold up, and you don't go in the other direction. <laughs> that's a longer way to say when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Now, that's a, a good phrase, and I mean, it's a good motivator. And it speaks to, you know, endurance and continuing on all important things, all important things in the Christian life. If we're going to face uh, what's in front of us, if we're going to experience the future that God has for us, we need endurance. We're in this series called Hope, the Assurance to Face Your Future. We want the assurance to face our future. And I, I believe we all have that. Um, we have assurance, and it's based on Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, the verse that you just saw in the video, where God told the nation of Israel, "I know the plans that I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration: plans for your well being, or plans to prosper you, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope." That's the basis, and the purpose of this series is to give us all the assurance to live with assurance that can only be found. And knowing Christ and fulfilling his plan for my life. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Now, again, that that phrase in and of itself is fine. It talks about endurance. But the the question that we need to ask is where are we drawing strength for endurance? Because if it's just a self-help, if it's just a, hey, you know, pick yourselves up by your bootstraps type of thing, you're not going to have the strength that you need to endure when things, when the going gets really tough. Uh, the type of endurance we're talking about, the type of assurance that we're talking about comes from a personal relationship with Christ. And it can only be found in knowing Jesus and fulfilling his plan for your life. 
We're not just talking self-help. We're not just talking about, you know, the strongest survive or the best win the race. We're talking about how we need desperately to have God's view on life, to know his plan, and to fulfill his plan by his power and his strength. One of God's most bold, you know, we talk about strong individuals, and we could probably go around the room and share examples in our own lives of people that were strong, that, that made it through things that, that other people would not have, and, and strong, bold individuals. One of the strongest, most bold individuals in all of the Bible was the Apostle Paul. And we think of him, and we think of this really strong figure, this bold guy who wasn't afraid to tell the truth, who wasn't afraid to, to, to say it like it was, but he still had weak times, and he had a softer side, and he had times where he was down, where he didn't feel like he had the strength to go on. Even he, one of the strongest figures in the Bible, had to have the strength of God, and we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we see that softer side. You know, a lot of people said that he was a paper tiger, that he was bold on paper and not in person. That wasn't true. A lot of people say that he was spineless. A lot of people say he was a poor speaker. Maybe he was. I don't know. Um, but he was definitely not weak, and he was definitely not spineless. But he did have points in his life where he hit low spots. And he wasn't afraid to show that softer side. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're just going to look at verses 2 through 7. He says, he's writing to the Corinthians, Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, taken advantage of no one. I don't say this to condemn you, since I've already said that you are, that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm very frank with you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with encouragement. I'm overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. In fact, when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest. Here's where he's revealing the condition he was in. We had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way. He's saying he's distressed. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God who comforts the downcast, and he's saying I was downcast. God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the arrival of Titus. And not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Paul's giving us a glimpse into his heart here. In a personal and intense letter, Paul asked the Corinthians to maintain a close and loving relationship with him. He knew the importance of relationships. Things aren't going well for Paul at this particular time, and they haven't in, in just, just prior to him writing this. He gets personal, Paul does. He shares his heart. He says that things that he's been downcast. He talks about the encouragement that he's received in the midst of that depression. And he talks about how he got through. And he says, we're going to take that phrase when the going gets tough and we're going to apply, apply some biblical principles to it given to us by Paul. 
things that we need to do, some good advice for when the going gets tough. Paul tells us when the going gets tough, one of the first things, one of the things we need to do is experience the ministry of a soulmate, of a soulmate. Now, I use that word maybe not quite the way you would think. But many people, when they hear the word soulmate, they think of finding a spouse, right? Someone to spend the rest of their lives with. And, and many people go to great lengths to find that soulmate. I, I read an article a few years ago. An executive who was nearing retirement was single. She decided to try to find her soulmate through a dating service. Unless there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I'm not, I'm not you know dissing dating services this morning, but she paid $150,000 to go into what was the upper tier of this dating service. She was a a high-class executive, and she figured, you know, I need the upper class of this dating service. But what happened was it didn't work out like she had planned, and she ended up suing the dating service because she said they matched her with a series of duds. And i got to be honest with you, I don't disagree with her. After you find out the list of people they matched her with, one was a judge, okay? Sounds good so far, right? But it was a disgraced judge because he had had an affair with one of the clerks in the court. (laughs) Another was someone who was a business person, I believe. I can't remember, but a business person who was simply had a wife who was terminally ill and was already looking for a replacement. (laughs) Yeah, I would consider that a dud, wouldn't you? All right, and another one, let's see. I want to make sure I get this right, okay. Another one, a guy, he claimed to have suffered from trauma. It could have been true, but he used that to explain why he was a chronic liar. He lied all the time, and he said he had trauma so he couldn't help himself. So these are just a few examples of the, the people she was matched with. You know, I don't know if she won the case or not. I have no idea. I, I doubt it. You know, there's probably a waiver she signed somewhere along the way. And listen, again, you know, I've known people that have met through dating services online, have happy relationships, happy marriages. That in and of itself is just fine, but it just, $150,000. It, goes, it show, goes to show you the links to which some people will go to try to find that special someone. Because we have within us a longing to be with someone, to connect with other people. Um, But the Corinthians, they didn't know it. Now, that's one version of a soulmate, right? The person that you married, your husband or your wife. But a soulmate doesn't have to be your spouse, what we're talking about, what the Corinthians didn't realize is Paul was really their soulmate. Now, let's look at what we mean by that, okay? His first letter, we go back, and we see his first letter to them, and he's, he's pretty tough to them. He's pretty strong. And we're talking about a soulmate. We're talking about somebody that you have a close personal relationship that opens up the door to honesty, somebody, somebody that you depend on. Somebody that encourages you, who challenges you, who keeps you accountable, who makes you a better person, who's there for you when nobody else is, who's honest with you, someone that you can tell anything to and know that they're going to keep a confidence if you need them to. Now, now that could be your spouse, and that should describe a marriage relationship, but that could also be someone who's a very close, intimate, personal, godly friend, and that's what Paul was for the Corinthians. 
His first letter was bold. It was tough to swallow, but it came from love. Look at 2 Corinthians 2, 4. He refers to it. I wrote to you with many tears out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart. Not to cause you pain, but that you should know the abundant love that I have for you. It was tough love. And he was honest with him then. He's being honest with him again. He asked him to trust him. And he, they, he had good reason. I mean, he had proven himself trustworthy. There were, there were evidently some false teachers going around spreading things about Paul, some of the things that I already mentioned. You know, he's really weak. He wrote tough, but, you know, he wasn't really that tough. You know, and all sorts of things. They were spreading rumors about him. And, and some folks evidently were believing some of those, those rumors. They were saying Paul was basically a con artist, that he was a fraud, that he used them to make money. All of these things they were saying about Paul. Some people were believing it. Now they're criticizing Paul and rebelling against God. So he writes the Corinthians a letter to set the record straight. And he encourages them to stop believing the lies, to get back on the right path. It's a very strong letter. The first letter was bold. It was harsh. It was from love, though. It was truth in love, but it was harsh. It was bold. It was tough to swallow if you were the Corinthians. Here he's being a little, he's still being honest, he's being loving, he's being a little bit more tender and affectionate. Um, the second letter, what we just read especially, he says, I have no rest for my spirit. In chapter 2, verse 13, he's asking them to make room for us in your hearts. The passage we just read, chapter 7, verse 2, he puts himself out there, he's burying his soul, he's being honest, he's being open. He wanted a close fellowship with them, like between a parent and a child, an intimate relationship, a soulmate type of relationship as we've just described it. He wants to be close to them and even gives requirements. Okay, If you're looking for someone with, to have this type of a relationship, Paul gives some requirements that he has in verse 2. Someone who's wronged no one, corrupted no one, defrauded no one. And corrupted literally means to manipulate someone for personal gain. He hasn't done that to them, regardless of what others are saying, and they shouldn't do that to each other or to him. He's answering his critics. He's saying, he's saying to them, y'all know me. You know I'm trustworthy. I've proven my faithfulness. You know my track record. You know me personally. Don't believe the lies that are being spread about me. My record speaks for itself, he's saying. And he says even if he died, he would not change his love for them. He was committed to them that much. He loved them that much. He said that they were in his heart. To, it was in his heart to live together and to die together for the cause of Christ. I'm with you through thick and thin, he's saying. No matter what, nothing is going to change how I feel about you. That's a soulmate. That is a godly, personal friend. A soulmate is someone who's willing to both live with you and die for you. Greater love has no man, right, than he that would lay down his life for a brother. I mean, this is the type of relationship Paul's describing the first letter was harsh, but now in verse 4, he encourages them. He's, he, he had confidence in them. He was proud of them. He was encouraged by them. He was encouraging them, and he's encouraged by them. He had confidence that most 
of the Corinthians were really believers. They were true believers who would be, had been and would be faithful. He believed they'd been faithful to Christ and that they would endure, that they would continue to be faithful in the future. He was proud, and it's kind of like a parent bragging on their kid. He's proud of them. He's proud of what they've done and what they're becoming. Their spiritual growth that he had seen was, he, it was making him joyful, was making him happy. He was taking joy from that. So he gave encouragement. What was happening in the Corinthian church encouraged him. It gave him strength. It gave him joy. And he's telling them about it. And that's what a soulmate does. They encourage each other. They hold each other accountable. They speak the truth like Paul did in his previous letter. But they, they don't leave off the encouragement part. You, know, you, can, you can be bold without being loving and encouraging. Now, Paul was both. And he encouraged them. And they had encouraged him. And that's what we should do for each other. You know, they, they, true soulmates build up. They don't tear down. And even when they have to be honest and, and, and speak difficult truth, the goal, the purpose is building the other person up, is in, encouraging greater closeness to Christ and spiritual growth. And watching them grow makes you grow, encourages you to grow. And we encourage each other. It works both ways. Everyone needs a soulmate in their life, especially when the going gets tough. When the going gets tough, we also need to experience the ministry of transparency. And Paul is transparent here. You have to know a little bit of the backstory here. Paul had sent Titus to Corinth to deliver the, the early letter and to collect money for believers in Jerusalem. So... You know, he sent this difficult letter through Titus, and they're supposed to meet up later. They're going to meet in Troas, but, but Paul has a letdown. Titus doesn't show when he's supposed to. So he's wondering, initially, you know, what did the Corinthians think of the letter? Are they mad at me? Do they hate me now? You know, and, he, and then what's happened to Titus? He, they don't meet up where they're supposed to. So he's worried about the Corinthians. He's worried about you know, Titus. And he always was concerned that his ministry was not going to, that the, the benefits would not be lasting. We see that a couple of different times. But Paul gets to Troas, Titus isn't there, so he goes to Macedonia to visit the churches there at Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Titus follows Paul to Macedonia and finally brings him the report. But there's a time in there where he doesn't know how they received it. The Corinthians, he doesn't know what's happened to Titus. So he's downcast. He's depressed. That word downcast, the NASB literally says depressed. And it's troubled in every way, he says. He talks about all of the pressures that are getting to him. Two problems mainly, conflicts on the outside and fears on the inside. And conflicts on the outside, you can imagine, you know, there's people persecuting outside the church but there's also those within the church. I mean, there are people that are, that are, he's being pressed from different directions. But he talks about fears on the inside. And this is where we get a little greater glimpse into some of Paul's struggles. I mean, he was downcast. He was depressed. And, and you know, all these things are going through his head, his mind, his heart. What's happened to Titus? What's really going on with the Corinthians? Fears. Doubts about the Corinthians, about Titus. 
at, at least for a time. One of his greatest fears, you know, he's talk, talking about fear about the Corinthians, and I just mentioned this, one of his greatest fears that he, was that his work would be in vain. He wanted his life to count. He wanted to make an impact for the kingdom. He worried about the, the future of those he had led to the Lord. He worried about the Corinthian church specifically here, but we see it in other places. Galatians 4.11, I'm fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. And then Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 3.5, for this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent him to find out about your faith, fearing that the, that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. And then again in 2 Corinthians, later in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. not to mention other things, there is a daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. You know, he's concerned. How would they react to his letter? You know, he sent Titus, so Titus was going to report back how they had reacted, but he hasn't heard from him for a time. When Titus doesn't show his stress, he's worried, he's concerned about it, but when Titus doesn't show it, there are prearranged meeting places, stress increases. Paul's even more depressed. So he goes to Macedonia, things get worse. He found a mess. Paul suffered exhaustion because of all of the things that he experienced in his ministry physically, but also emotionally, mentally. Conflicts on the outside, fears on the inside. He couldn't escape. Everywhere he turned, there was conflict. He was overwhelmed. He was always afraid one of the churches would fall away. His work would be in vain. He thinks maybe that's happened now. He's, at, he, he's depressed. He's downcast. You know, church conflicts were just a part of his life. I mean, there was never a place he went where he didn't experience some conflict. In the church, outside the church, persecution. It was constant for Paul. And for anyone, eventually that would get to you. Even the strongest of individuals, we all get overwhelmed in life sometimes, don't we? I mean, have you ever felt overwhelmed? And just, you get to the end of your rope, you get to the point you just feel like I can't go any further. I mean, I can't take anymore. That's, that's where Paul is saying that he was just prior to Titus arriving. When you get to that point, I mean, we call it, it's called depression, you get to that point, you've got two choices. You can bottle it up, not tell anybody, and eventually just fall apart. Or you can tell somebody. You can have that soulmate in your life that you can share it with. Or if need be, get help, counseling. You know, depression is, is something that everybody's going to face. I mean, talk to God about it. Talk to your soulmate. Don't keep it bottled up. Paul is doing that here. He's telling them, here's how I feel. Here's what I'm going through. He knows that he needs to share this. You know he talked to God about it. Now he's telling the Corinthians about it. He's sharing what he's going through. If you're depressed, guess what? You're not alone. Some of God's greatest men and women of faith struggled from depression. Paul's admitting it here, but we have other examples. In 1866, on a Sunday morning, Charles Spurgeon shocked his congregation, 5,000 people, when he said this. He said, I'm, subject, I'm the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever gets to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. I mean, he, it's, it's common knowledge. He struggled from depression. One of the most famous and successful preachers of all time struggled with this. 
John Henry Jowett was pastor of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian in New York. He said this in, in a letter in 1920. He said, you seem to imagine I have no ups and downs, but just a level and lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy and equanimity. By no means, he says, I'm often perfectly wretched and everything appears most murky. Well, if that's not enough, how about Martin Luther? He would get so depressed and in a period so dark that he would become a recluse for days. He would get so bad that his family would go around the house and hide things that they, think, they thought he might could hurt himself with. He struggled from depression. Godly believers get depressed. And if you haven't, even if you don't struggle from clinical depression, which some do, at some point in your life, you're going to get depressed. Right? You're going to get down. Life's going to press in on you to the point to where you get to where Paul is and you have trouble dealing with what you're going through. And in those moments, I hope you have a soulmate that you can go to, to share with. You need one. You need to talk to God about it, but you also need to talk to somebody else. And there's depression that everybody's been called the common cold of the soul. At some point, you're going to catch it, okay? There's depression that we all will experience, but then there's a form of clinical depression that's more serious than that. And I've had people in my family that have dealt with this. I've known people close to me that have dealt with this, and it is something that you should not ignore, okay? It's, yes, talk to God about it, talk to a friend about it, but also be willing to get help with it from somebody who's a a Christian-trained counselor, don't deny it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be, don't be embarrassed by it. Everybody deals with it on some level, and many people deal with it on a much deeper level. I mean, I would say being a recluse is a more deeper level of depression, right? Martin Luther, one of the most godly men that has ever existed, dealt with serious depression. Charles Spurgeon dealt with serious depression, Paul's just being honest about his feeling. He's not saying, I'm just going to pick up myself by my bootstraps. No, I need divine intervention. I need the help of soulmates, people to come alongside me. When the going gets tough, we need the ministry of transparency. You need to be transparent, and guess what? You may help somebody that's going through what you're going through simply by being open and honest about your struggles. I'm not saying advertise our sin all over the place. I'm saying be honest that you struggle because we all struggle. Something else, when the going gets tough, we need to experience the ministry of encouragement. We need encouragement. Right now, when he needs it most in the midst of exhaustion, in the midst of conflict, conflict on the outside, fears on the inside, God comforted Paul and his team with the arrival of Titus. Verse 6, Paul was a soulmate to the Corinthians, even if they didn't realize it. But Paul had his own soul made, and it was Titus. He was waiting for Titus. He was worried about Titus. He, he, he was concerned. And then finally, Titus shows up. There's this huge boost. Titus is okay, and guess what? He could have arrived with a bad report from Corinth. Paul still would have been encouraged by the fact that Titus was still alive, but he would have been upset. But not only does Titus arrive, he arrives with good news. He arrives with encouragement. For Paul, and he's filled with joy. The Corinthians accepted his letter well. They're concerned about him. They respond appropriately. So Paul just goes on 
a bragging tour, right? No, Paul gives credit to God. He gives glory to God. He said that Titus' coming was the result of God who comforts the downcast, he says. And this is a description of God that comes from the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 2.8, he raises the poor from dust and lifts the needy from the trash heap. He seats them with the noblemen and gives them a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the, the world on them. And then Isaiah 49 speaks to the same thing. The Lord who's comforted his people has compassion. It describes God as somebody who cares for those that are his. Those that have been abused specifically by enemies. He's, he comforts those who are downcast. And Paul recognized that Titus's coming was God comforting him who was downcast. Paul had been downcast. Paul teaches us that we should view the comforts that come our way as God intervening in our lives. God uses people. He intervenes directly, but he also uses other people. He sends people our way to comfort us, to encourage us. He gives us relationships to draw comfort and support and encouragement and accountability to, to produce growth in our lives. And the message that Titus had was also an encouragement. The Corinthians had heard him. They had received his letter as bold and as harsh as it was. They had received it the right way. They had responded in repentance. And now they had a deep longing, sorrow, and zeal for Paul. They, they, they wanted to be close to him too, to remain close to him. And he's deeply moved. Because he loved them. He cared for them. His joy now is greater as a result. And every, you know, everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to, be, to belong. Everybody wants to be encouraged. Some people may need it more than others. Some people may want it more than others. But we all want it, if we're honest. And we all need it. God created us that way. I mean, the ministry of encouragement is so very much a part of our kingdom work as anything else. It should be. But the primary source of Paul's joy was... The faithfulness, the faithfulness of God as seen through the faithfulness of the Corinthians. The safety of Titus certainly is part of that. But God was being glorified. He's giving all glory to God. Now, we were in Ecuador a couple of weeks ago. And one of the days, Saturday, we did a sightseeing trip. And we ate at a restaurant Saturday afternoon. And outside that restaurant, for whatever reason, I still really don't know why, but they had four llamas tied up outside the restaurant. <laughs> so after we got done eating, we decided we were going to go and see the llamas. Some of us tried to get close to the llamas and got spit at, Tiffany, by the llama. <laughs> um, Caleb and Timmy tried to, I think Timmy ended up touching the llama, but they tried to, like, I don't know, seduced the llama or something. They teamed up. It didn't work out so well. Um, at some point, though, so we're all watching like Caleb and Timmy. This is after Tiffany had been spit at. We're watching this unfold, and, and I took a video of that part. Well, uh, after we got done, Jose, I don't know if Jose, is Jose here today? Hey, there you are, Jose. Um, Jose was going to go over and do something like try it, give give it his try at the llama or something I don't know but he told Gracie hold my phone and take a picture of me over next to the llama well Jose didn't know it at the time but Gracie decided to do this with Jose's phone <laughs> so there's Gracie there's Jose and there's Timmy in the background oh no wait that's the llama in the background my bad <laughs> that's the llama my bad Timmy um 
So Gracie took a selfie. And there, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Selfies can be fun. And this is funny. Jose, I think, found it later. He didn't know it at the time. He found it later. A nice little surprise, a little laugh. Selfies in and of themselves are a good thing, right? They can be just fine. We take pictures with people. We've got the ability to do that without having to ask somebody to take the picture. You know, you can capture moments, capture memories like this with the llama in the background and everything. So in and of themselves, they are just fine. But there, there was a study that was done in 2016 on this selfie culture that we're in. You could, like anything, you can take something that's harmless, something that's fun, to an extreme. And this study discovered or explored the obsession that some people have as it revolves around selfies. They actually determined, this was done in 2016, they determined that 55% of millennials post selfies while only 24% of Gen Xers and 9% of baby boomers. Now that may be different, it's been a few years. Some of you may have learned to do selfies in the past few years. All right. Now I'm not anti-selfie. I got a good laugh out of this and you guys did too, right? It's fun, it can be fun. Hey, take a selfie, post it on Facebook, you know. But here, here's where the selfie phenomenon goes off the rails. Somebody, and many people do this. They post something, and then they start watching their likes and their shares. And they become obsessed with how many people paid attention to it. And they begin to, if enough people don't hit like, a thumbs up or a smiley face, they, start, they suddenly don't feel good about themselves. And their self-worth, their self-identity gets wrapped up in how many people like a picture of them in a llama or something. (laughs) And you think that's crazy, but listen, there are people that get so wrapped up. Their identity is based around social media, which in and of itself can be a great tool. But their identity gets wrapped up in how many people are liking a picture of them. And they follow it. And if, if it doesn't go their way, they get depressed or they start to think less of themselves or somebody says something mean about them on social be- media. And listen, there's abuse that takes place and bullying. I'm not minimizing that. But what Paul does, he writes to the Corinthians and he wants them to love him, okay? He's concerned about that. But even if they had not responded well, Paul would have been okay. You know why? Because Paul, he res- the way he responds gives us a glimpse. He gives all glory to God. He gives God credit for sustaining him. We need each other. We need encouragement. We need to walk alongside each other. But in the end, God is the only one who is perfectly consistent, who loves you with an everlasting love who will sustain you and strengthen you. If you want to endure, when the going gets tough, you've got to receive peace and strength from your creator. The answer to this kind of, you know, this selfie mentality, and Gracie wasn't doing that. Gracie wasn't being selfish here, okay? (laughs) But the selfie mentality is others-directedness and God-directedness. Others-directedness is putting the needs of others above our own but Christ-centeredness, putting Christ above all else, is so vital. And we present a request, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So let me take that phrase one more time. When the going gets tough, 
let's just end with this. When the going gets tough, seek and receive the peace of God. Seek the Lord above all else. Yes, surround yourself with soulmates. We need each other. Seek the Lord. Receive Him. Submit to Him. And experience His peace and His strength for daily life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and your sustaining power. When life gets tough, and it does, when the pressure is on, when we don't feel like we can keep moving forward, you're always there to strengthen us, to carry us when necessary. Lord, may we look to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, our God who created us and sustains us, who loves us with an everlasting love. Lord, may we submit to you and depend on you each day for peace and for strength. Lord, may we also look to each other, those people that you place in our lives, to encourage us. Draw on each other. Hold each other accountable. Support one another. Be transparent with one another. Give us the ability to form and cultivate those relationships because you use people. You work through people to provide encouragement and strength and spiritual growth. Or may we be a soulmate to someone and have those soulmates in our lives like Paul did. Lord, we, we trust in you and we depend on you and we know we can do that because you have provided a way for us to have a relationship. Jesus, you died for our sins so that we could be forgiven and set free from sin. You were raised from the dead to conquer death so that we could have eternal life and victory over death. If we put our faith and trust in you, we can have hope and assurance for the future. And I pray that if there's someone who, here today who, who's never made that commitment, who's never experienced salvation through you alone, I pray that they would come during this time of decision and allow me to share with them how to do that. For those of us who know you, give us strength for the day. Give us strength for each day. Increase our faith. Draw us closer to you and help us to live for you, even through the toughest of times. Lord, we thank you for your strength. We thank you for all that you've done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for our time of decision?